This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's time for the Friday afternoon live stream. I'm Bobby Burton, joined by Jerry Hamilton, Rod Babers, and CJ Vogel. The crew is all here, guys. Tell you what, uh, it should be a star-studded cast. I don't know what to say. This is your first time back, Rod, with with Jerry in tow. Yeah. You guys are going to cut it up a little bit, chop it up. Yeah, I, I, I was just asking. I hadn't seen Rod in a while. Did he lose a step while I was gone? Are we still four three five? Or are we, you know, days, Rod? No, man. The, ba- the baby's worn me out, so I'm probably about uh, to go lost six. A step. Lost yeah, a man. step. <laughs> Rod, Good to have you back, brother. Good to have you back. Rod hasn't been four six since the seventh grade. <laughs> All right, uh, the, the Friday afternoon live stream brought to you by our friend uh, Andy Ludicky at MyPerfectFranchise.net. I don't want to forget our friend C.J. Vogel down at the bottom as well. He's sporting his 1995 Ron McKelvey. Yes, that's the one. Uh, Guys, uh, some some things I want to go over today. A lot of recruiting stuff that, Jerry, that you and C.J. have been following. Rod, uh, some other things that we've been following as well is this whole NCAA fallout stuff has been major the last five days. And I want to get everybody's take on this uh, out of the gate here and, and also take your questions and uh, comments, et cetera. Uh, guys, the, the interesting thing for me here right now, at least as I, I'm sitting, Pete Thamel comes out today. The, he's the senior college football writer for ESPN. He breaks a ton, and I mean a ton of news. He says that the Big Ten and the SEC are in the process of hiring an advisory or setting up an advisory committee that they will fund to talk about the future of college sports. Okay. This is the first action where the leagues that should be leading are leading a potential exploration of a situation outside of the NCAA's parameter or jurisdiction. Um, so they're actually taking steps now. And I think that this is very big. Uh, Charlie Baker, the NCAA president, said that, hey, maybe y'all want to look at this two months ago. You know, a lot of the, a lot of people thought that would fall on deaf ears or they would kick the can down the road, maybe, mm-hmm. and, and just try to live within the NCAA. I don't think so. It looks like it's getting ready to be, I don't want to say Armageddon, because that would be the end of the world, but it might be a new world order that we're looking at here pretty soon. Um, on top of all of that, we've got Tennessee in a lawsuit now with the state attorney generals of Tennessee and Virginia over NIL, and they're not even backing the universities. They're backing the student athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we've got Chip Kelly trying to leave a head coaching job at the at, at UCLA to go get a job as a coordinator in 
pro football because he's tired of NIL, I think, and other other ac- actions, maybe support from uh, UCLA, the institution as well. Jeff Halfley, though, uh, just took a coordinator yep. job in the NFL after being the head mm-hmm. coach at Boston College. So that might be two guys that, that uh, opt out, uh, so to speak. What do you guys think of all this? I mean, what, what are we – this new world era that we may be launching into – in college football. Jerry, I'll go with you first, buddy. I've always said this was going to end up being like Major League Baseball, right? Where in its current setup, or you're going to have your top tier teams that financially um, can, can win, right? Uh, or set up to win uh, in NIL. Um, and I think that's really what you're seeing. I mean, a head coach of Boston College who just went to a bowl game leaves. Chip Kelly, who, you know, look, he's done a good job there. And I don't think a great. I don't think it's a great job at all. I think it's a tougher job now than people think, uh, for many reasons. The NIL they can't compete with USC. They just they're moving to the Big Ten. Uh, he wants to leave. I, I think it's really proving out to kind of be moving towards Major League Baseball. You're going to have those guys are leaving Power Five jobs as head coaches to go be coordinators in the NFL. That's pretty much saying we can't compete. I mean, there's nothing uh, – you can't say, oh, we're working too many hours. That's not it. They're pretty much saying we're not set up to compete in the current state of college football. Yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what they're saying. Nobody leaves at coaching jobs at Power 5 schools at UCLA to go be a coordinator in the NFL. Well, one thing I would add is – Chip, and I talked about that this morning on, on Coffee and Football, Jerry. Chip Kelly – he lost his all his defensive coordinator to USC. Yeah. I mean, that shouldn't happen. So it's almost institutional um support that he's lacking. It's not just NIL. Right. It's more of how are you helping me win? Well, the guy next door to me can go grab my defensive coordinator. Screw that. I'm going to the NFL. Yeah. You know, Rob, what do you think, buddy? Well, if you look at, I mean, let's take it, right? Because UCLA, apparently they got financial issues. That's yep. part of this too, right? So they don't have the financial support to give Chip Kelly the resources that he needs to compete in this new landscape of college sports. By the way, they just hired a GM, just like Ole Miss. They got a, an action, no more of the facade about, nah, director of recruiting, director of player person. No, 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 there's a GM. He's a general manager. We understand where this game is going. We just need a general manager at this point. You're going to start seeing that more and more. But getting back to it, guys, this is the separation of the have and the have-nots. If you go look at the kind of the consolidation that's happening right now, go look at the, the brands in college football that produce the most revenue and go look at the brands that bring the most eyeballs. 80% of those brands are in the SEC and in the Big Ten. Yeah. All right. And essentially, this is the new marketplace for major college sports. Now, we're starting with football football here. But if you're talking about major college football, it's the SEC or the Big Ten. We are in – if you got a cell phone right now, if you got a smartphone, it's either iPhone, right, or it's an Android. That's it. You got two choices. If you got something else, man, God bless you. I don't know where the hell you got it from. You got an Android or you got an iPhone. That will be major college football in the future. You have two choices, SEC or Big yeah. Ten, especially once the ACC, once, you know, those issues resolve themselves. I think a lot of those blue blood brands will probably be in the SEC or the Big Ten. They know that. And that's where this comes. And it's it really NIL. I, I said this a while ago. You know, the NCAA is a dinosaur. They're a dinosaur. All right. 
They're on their way to being extinct. They're a dinosaur. This is actually one of the moves that'll bring it. But the NIL was the meteor that took them out. It just, it took, it, it just, it totally, in my opinion, it will be, it was the beginning of the end of the NCAA. It just, it, it brought, it brought the free market to college sports. And the NCAA was never going to survive the free market. Now with major college sports. Now they may be, you know, they may end up having, you know, control over mid-major and minor college sports and other college sports other than football where the money's being produced. But major college sports, once, once the free market hit, <laughs> the NCAA had no chance. They were done, guys. The free market will win. And it is winning right now. Yeah, it's just I, uncontrolled. <laughs> look. This is exactly what I agree with you, Rod. You can't put, they tried to put the genie in the bottle for decades and keep it in there. And every time a little, a little wisp of smoke got out of the genie bottle, they'd like try to replug the hole. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Every single time, but they don't get it. It's coming out. It's coming you know, out. Deal with yeah. the genie. Get your three wishes in and go. <laughs> Don't just keep trying to push it back down. I mean, PJ, we haven't asked you your thoughts on it. You bring a little bit different perspective. You're a little bit younger than us. You know, you have, you've dealt with a scenario where, like I grew up in college football, you know, it was televised once or twice a week, you know, and then I got older and ESPN came along and then it kind of proliferated. You've been in this kind of media world where there's an, there was always an internet since you've been born basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts about where college sports is going right now? How you see it from a younger perspective, maybe? Well, there's, there's two things. I think there's a good and a bad because I like the idea of the good teams playing good teams. I like to me, uh, you know, a midweek game or a, a midseason game in which, you know, the, the big top 10, top 15 teams in the country are not playing other teams that are along their level of, of play. It's it's boring to me. I don't want to be sitting in week six and not seeing, you know, the whoever is, is scheduled as the, the midweek game, the F, FCS, F, you know, lower schedule. That, that's what I'm getting at. I don't want to see that. I want to see the best play the best. And you get that with the SEC and the Big Ten, especially with the way that they're stockpiling programs right now to move into what is now looking like a, a power two conference that we're looking at, you know, like it, if it does come down to that, it then becomes a fighting for the ACC and who, whoever you might want to snag from the big 12, whatever it might be. But I think that's exciting. I think that's really encouraging to me for the, the healthiness of the top elite programs of college football. But then you look at the regionality of the game and you start wondering, well, the aspect of rivalries and the emotion that came into what really made you know college football special was being able to look down the road and and seeing your 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 friends down the street with a tech flag in their yard an a and m flag in their yard you know you might have an oklahoma state or a rice or a houston whatever it might be and you you don't play those teams anymore it doesn't matter anymore uh, as a result so that i think that sucks i think you don't get that geographical association anymore as a result of all of this realignment so that's that's one part I don't like. I do like the idea of playing the best of the best. If you know, you see those theories all the time of what would happen in a true relegation sense of college football. You know, where you have the tiers of the the best. You know, a tier two and a tier three. And you can obviously you know rise if you do well, descend if you're you know struggling a little bit. That'll never happen in college football. There's too much money. But 
I like that. I like the idea of playing a major league and a, you know, a double A or triple A, because that's ultimately where we're at already. And I don't think that there's a lot to change that with the way that things are going right now. Let me ask you all. I, I agree with this whole triple A, double A scenario, because that's really what you're talking about. I mean, Texas is a big league team. Is Wake Forest? Mm-hmm. Is Boston College? Mid-major. That, in our, that, in our in football world. world. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean they can't in years beat Texas, because that's definitely been the, the case at times. We're not, I'm not foolish enough to say that, but their level of support is different. Who are some of those teams that you think might get picked out of the major conference or what are now one of the top four conferences with the Big 12 and um, uh, Big 12, Pac-12, what's remaining of them, as well as the ACC? That's one. And who do you think might be in those group of five conferences that they might say, hey, come join us? Is there anybody in that group? Well, that I think might, the first the first question is, do we think it's going to be two 24-team leagues or two 32-team leagues? Right. Do we, if we think it's 24, then it gets a lot easier to sit there and pick off the next eight. And and, and, all, and they all know who they are, and they know who's not going to be in the, in the mix, yeah. right? I mean, that's the reality. If we're thinking 24 – that's pretty easy to go through uh, the Big 12 um, and, and the ACC and kind of pick those schools for the SEC, which is what Texas fans are going to care about most, obviously. Um, but, I mean, look, it, it, there I don't see a world where a Florida State and a Clemson play in the Big 10 and not in the SEC. I mean, maybe they do. I just don't see that. Um, what does North Carolina and Duke do? I mean, that that's where it gets interesting is, is the schools like that uh, because you you want to say those two go, schools go together, right? I mean, those guys are going to come together. What happens to the NC State? Um, and what you know at SEC, do they look at it and say, okay, we're going to have a dominant football and basketball league? Because if you bring in Carolina Duke, then uh, you, you do have the two blue bloods in college basketball to go with Indiana. So you now have three of the top. Let, let me ask you this: what, is, what does it all factor in? What about Syracuse? Crazy question. I mean, this is, a, this is a school that has a rich history in football. Hasn't been good at it in decades. Yeah. Right? But you're talking about Jim Brown, Floyd Little. You're talking about Donovan McNabb more recently. They've got a rich tradition in football. They don't draw well. And they are a basketball school these days. I mean, and they, and they have no geographical recruiting area. They're not mm. attractive to anybody. Them going to group of five actually makes them more attractive. They may just get run out of business in a way (laughs) by the Big Ten. You know, I mean, that could be their reality, sadly. I think there are schools where if you take that step down in a way, it makes you more attractive. You know, you you talk about at at the FCS level, if you have the opportunity to go play at, you know, a North or South Dakota state, like those schools are competing – for championships every year in the sense that they develop very well and they send guys to the NFL every single year in a way that I think that would be more attractive than going to play in front of, you know, 12,000 people in, you know, a city or town or a college where you probably aren't going to get developed too, too well and they don't prioritize football. So in a sense, if you're competitive at a, you know, a lower level in a sense, that's better than being the, in the dumpster at the highest level. No, I agree. And the, the problem with the lower level uh, coaches and what they're dealing with is that, Anytime these guys do a really good job of developing that player, that under-recruited player, you know, that two-star player, exactly, into a really good all-conference player, he leaves. 
He's gone. That's why that's why we all talk about this is major league baseball, right, Rod? If yeah. you draft really well, you can't afford to pay your guys in free agency, so they're gone. The, you're the Oakland A's. Ah man, we did a great job in the 2018 draft. We have one guy left. They're all gone. We can't. And they all the Yankees. They all went to the Yankees. You know what I mean? yep. Like that's that's what they're dealing with. I've talked to a couple of these kind of mid-major coaches, and that's the reality: is that you not only are not getting the financial support from your own administration because you just don't have the sugar daddies, right? That Texas does, that the big-time programs do. But then once you do actually do a good good job in developing these guys. It's inevitable that they will leave to go to a bigger platform so the free market will give them what their actual value is in the free market. And I can't blame them. That's just the way the system is supposed to set up. It's set up right now, but it's it's making it impossible for those guys to compete at the elite levels of college football. So, yeah, man, this is it's just at this point, I I think we are at the separation of the have and the have nots. And with the money flowing in, it's more evident than ever. Yeah, there's one school I wanted to get y'all's thoughts on. And right now they've been at kind of that lower level. They just made the jump actually to the ACC. It's SMU. You know, they have all the money in the backside mm. of things. They're, they're, I think it's seven years in which they're not taking any media rights from their deal to join the ACC. They'd raised $200 million essentially to cover that from boosters. Obviously, uh, I don't know if you'd want to call it rich, but a history in football in which they were at the top for a while, fallen since then, but a team like that that is able to compete financially with just about anybody in the country, what do you do with them? What's different? Let me ask you. This is the whole thing. You know what the difference between Baylor and SMU is, and even TCU? Ann Richards was governor <laughs> back when the Big 12 was formed. No, I was telling you. Yeah. That, that, that was it. It was that they had better support of their – their programs in the Big 12, CJ. It was they had the folks in Austin making the decisions. You can't go to the Big 12 unless you take Baylor. And Texas Tech was the other one, by the way. What was the difference? Only difference with Texas Tech and those three was that Texas Tech was a public institution. Yeah. And so they automatically, it wasn't because Texas Tech had more fans. And so the last 30 years, to your point, CJ, there's been some rearranging of that. I think that SMU has an argument to be in that next – if it goes to 64 right, and not 48, like I, I'm writing down li a list here. You know, in, in any way possible, okay, if you're talking about a true national championship, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, yeah. North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Virginia, NC State, and Duke all belong – and should get a seat at the table. Yes. Okay. And yeah. now the question I have: Boston College, you know they they don't get many fans. Syracuse, same. Georgia Tech, you know they've been kind of in and out of that category. But Atlanta's a great market. You know how much is that? Georgia Tech would belong in over say Rutgers, in my opinion. But Rutgers is definitely going to be in because of their affiliation with the Big Ten. Hmm. Somebody's mentioning Vanderbilt should be out of it. They're going to be in because of their affiliation. If they their grandfather, someone sees a grandfather in their grandfather, that's just a done the, deal. The question is, does an Oklahoma State have any chance to get into the SEC at all? No way. I don't nope. think they do. Right? They need a sugar. If T Boone was alive, they'd have a shot. They have a sugar daddy that'll pay for it. They ain't got a sugar daddy. But Louisville. No. Somebody brought up Louisville. That's a good one. Yeah, I, that, that's my point with you guys is we 
you start narrowing this list, there's going to be some cuts that hurt. Yeah. Just like it hurt Baylor, or just like it hurt TCU, SMU, 30 years ago when Texas left them out of the, the Big 12. And Houston. And Rice. I mean, what's Rice? I mean, Rice wasn't doing well before no. uh, the Big 12. But there was a time when Rice was a good program, CJ. I know you don't believe that because it was <laughs> your father's time, much less and, and mine to some degree. Uh, but you know, at some point these things ebb and flow. I will say that SMU, unlike some others that we just mentioned, they've stepped forward with money. Mm-hmm. And like that's where I believe they, they compete at that highest. They level. got sugar daddies. They, they've got a commitment. <laughs> Yeah. And so that does, in my opinion, position them differently. I think being in the state of Texas positions them differently because guess what? Football is important in the state in of Dallas. Texas. Yeah. I, yeah. All of that. There's a lot of aspects. Of this. All right. We got some more to talk about. We got some recruiting news and info to get to. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. Each and every Friday afternoon live stream brought to you by our friend Andy Ludicky at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Andy's helped dozens of clients. Become business owners. So if your dream is to own a business, give Andy a shout. 404-973-9901 or email him, Andy, at myperfectfranchise.net. Andy's a friend of ours. Uh, very much appreciate him. And he really has helped a number of people get their own business and uh, uh, start the uh, dream of business ownership uh, in the great old U.S. of A. All right, guys. Recruiting news. Jerry and CJ, who wants to... Tell us where some coaches have been today. Any breaking news, new offers, anything like that? I haven't. As of when we went on the air, I haven't seen any new offers. I think they. Uh, I think all the offers went out and they're out of hands right now. Um, but uh, yeah, some of the staff was on the road. I think uh, Kyle Flood. Well, he had been off the road, so he was back. Yeah, I think he stayed on the road. I think Bobby, you mentioned Blake Gideon was down at Galveston Ball to see Jonah Williams today. So staff was still out and about. Maybe just not as much action. Um, as we've seen earlier in the week, but uh, a, n- a number of new offers. I love, we talked about this morning, I love uh, the, the D-line offer out of Folsom, uh, the, the 2025 former Washington commitment. I think he's a big-time, big-time prospect. I love Jonathan Cunningham, the linebacker offer out of North Crowley, uh, who he's a he's a he's starting to be a fast riser. He's still under-recruited, under-offered, because he's a 6'2", 190-pound kid you have to project, but I think his upside is tremendous. Um, I love those two offers made. You know, Texas offered uh, Myron Charles, a four-star defensive lineman out of Port Charlotte. They offered a few other guys in that Tampa area when Jeff Banks was kind of uh, going from school to school down there uh, midweek. Uh, Myron Charles is a very talented guy. I think the in-state schools have an advantage there. Uh, but it was nice to see Texas extend that offer. And what you're going to see is some of these guys that have been offered now, obviously they weren't at junior days. Texas is going to make a push to get these guys on campus for a spring practice. Around the spring practice weekend, there's also a couple of big seven-on-seven tournaments, one in that Round Rock area, I believe, then one up in in Houston and Dallas. So around those seven-on-seven tournaments as well, like Brandon Brown, Sarkeesian, uh, uh, the D-tackle commitment out of um, uh, O'Galley and Melbourne, Sarkeesian, Tashar Choice, Jeff Banks were by there. I talked with somebody close to that recruitment. He's actually going to visit Texas around the spring practice. 
when he comes to Texas for seven on seven. He plays on the Cali Power seven on seven team. Go figure uh, how he plays on that being in Melbourne, Florida. But uh, he's going to visit it for a spring practice. I think that's what you're going to see the next steps for this Texas staff. They've been out evaluating. They've been offering 2025s, 2026s. Now you'll see the next step of that is getting those guys on campus, as many of those guys as they can in March for an unofficial visit. Then the last thing I'll say before CJ goes, that last weekend in June is already setting up to be a big official visit weekend. Marcus Harris from Modern Day, um, he's come out and said that's when he's going to make his official visit. Michael Fasusi at Louisville, I don't know if that's been announced yet, but I was told behind the scenes it's likely he comes in, as well as Tyler Thomas at Dickinson, the offensive lineman. So you're starting to see some guys at least tell Texas, yeah, that's I'm going to come in for that official visit. And Texas wants to get that last official visit in June with as many of those guys as they can. All right, guys, uh, I want to get going now and take some questions the rest of the afternoon. Let's have a little fun. Uh, enjoy good. it. Uh, talk a little Longhorn football, maybe uh, dive back in uh, to the uh, NCAA uh, question as well. I'm going to start with this one because I think it's apropos. Jerry, welcome back. And the Dax count says 499 for you. Yeah. Man, it's, a, it's adding up from the last two mornings on Coffee and Football. It's adding up. It's going to be <laughs> next week. Hey, this one from Elijah Perez. Thanks, Dax, by the way. Uh, this one from Elijah Perez. To play devil's advocate. Doesn't the expansion to a 12-team playoff open the door to some of those underdog, out-of-nowhere upsets? Or will it be more of a concentration of the haves versus the have-nots? What do you, hmm. I, I, do, I think it does open it up, but here's the problem that I have. What is, what is the SEC at now? 14 or 16 teams? I can't even remember. 16. Okay. Yeah. Big, Big Ten is going to go is the same direction, right? So that's 32. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so here's my question for you guys. Why would they share the money with more people than they need to? I wouldn't follow the money. So you're you're not wrong. Your devil's advocate advocate idea, Elijah, is accurate. OK, but why share the money right now? Part of the problem with the NCAA basketball tournament in some big teams perspective, Kansas is the draw. Kentucky is the draw. You know, Texas is a draw in, on a national scale. Yep. Well, St. Peter's over there with their 2,000-person enrollment gets a chance to line up and play against those guys. That's right. And football doesn't want to share that money. Basketball mm -hmm. may have got in and got in under the wire a little bit, under the guise of everyone being an NCAA team, needing mm -hmm. fewer players, needing less resources to get into a basketball situation than you do football. I mean, I, I hear it, but I don't, I tell you, they're going to be, I think they're going to, they're not going to be, let's grow it to 64. I think, I think it's more Jerry's term of 48. That that's going to be my, that's why the Wake Forests, I think are going to be on the outside looking in. in this thing. And also with the, you know, the death of the Pac-12, What's this automatic qualifier thing about now? Like, are we still going with winning the conference gets you into the 12 team playoff? Or, I mean, because I mean, that Pac 12 doesn't exist anymore. So, in the Big 12, does the Big 12 automatically get somebody in because they win when I mean, the Big 12 has no blue bloods? I wonder if they'll tweak some of that too. That the Big 10, the SEC will decide now, now we'll just let it, we'll let it go by either rankings or we'll let it. 
uh, kind of naturally go uh, in terms of the college football playoff. We'll let it kind of naturally happen rather than really uh, stipulate that you have to have conference champions because that doesn't help the SEC and the Big Ten. It just leaves more spots open for everybody else because if not, the Big Ten's going to have four five teams in there and the SEC's going to have four of them in there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. All right, here's some other questions. If y'all have any, please feel free to put them in there. Uh, We're going to get to them all as soon as we can. This one from Brandon Ralston. Super chat. Thanks, Brandon. Off topic from what we were discussing, but it's not really because this is about Texas football always. I think that Derek Williams Jr. Uh, what is that little raptor? Raptor, raptor. Oh, the raptor! <laughs> I, I couldn't tell. It's like a little. I see Rod trying to peep into that. That's like a dinosaur that's used as a Man, raptor. I say man. This off season, I'll be buying his jersey soon. Fafo baby, DBU. Rod, uh, you know what do you think? You think uh, Williams takes a jump this year? Uh, I expect him to. I mean, he naturally came in as your best coverage safety. Uh, this year, I expect him to be better at run support, run the alley, he, which he was better last season. Um, I expect him to be better in terms of being an assignment sound. There was some coverage busts last year, um, passing off guys in coverage. I think that's natural, by the way, that happened to some of the veteran players, too. If you're looking at the biggest leap next season in the secondary, it should be Derek Williams. I mean, Jaday Barron, he is, he's consistent, right? So if he takes a leap, it'll be for him being like a Thorpe finalist kind of leap. He's already an all-conference caliber player. Um, you know, Terrence Brooks and Malik Muhammad could be another one that takes that leap, though. If I'm looking at the biggest leaps of improvement in the secondary, Malik Muhammad will be the other guy throughout there. Those two, if those two take similar leaps, man, that secondary is going to go from a weakness to a strength. In one I, off season, I sure I'm throwing out a prediction. I I like Derek Williams to be a second or third team all SEC safety next year. That's like one of the whoa gonna make a big jump. Yeah, I think a big jump. CJ, I see CJ grinning on that one. What, what do you well, think? Well, that's the jump he's gonna take in year two, year three, you're then probably talking about a, a Thorpe semifinalist, if not finalist, for one of the best defensive backs in the country. If he's you know headed on that trajectory, I thought we saw signs this past season of Derek Williams being one of, if not the best, most consistent pieces in that Texas secondary, specifically at the safety position. Rod, you mentioned him being the best cover safety. I felt like coming downhill, if it wasn't Jalen Catalan the last four weeks, kind of yeah. filling that void there, it was Derek Williams at times. So uh, I, I was really impressed. I think, I mean, as y'all talked about, his ceiling is tremendous. Aside from what I saw when I went to see him in high school and at the Under Armour practices, I cannot get out of my head that a head coach – Steve Sarkeesian at a signing day press conference said this guy could be a first round pick one day. 
That's crazy. He hasn't said that about anybody else. Yeah. Not that he doesn't have other guys he's thinking that about, but that is a pretty high praise on signing day to give to a guy in your recruiting class. That doesn't happen a lot of times. Just go check all these press conferences. That's a great point, Jay. And I remember when my man, Michael Griffin, I'll get Michael Griffin. Yeah, Michael Griffin said he's going to be one of the greatest DBs in DBU history. And I was like, Griff, that's a bold statement. I'll give Griff. Griff was also one of the first people I heard say, Ryan Watts is a safety in the league. Mark my words. And as he's transitioning to the league, they want to see more and more of him at safety. So the guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to DBs. And he had very, very complimentary things to say about Derek Williams when he watched film on him too. We've got some data that I think will be good. I think CJ collected it on Ryan Watts and his performance in practice and games for the Shrine Bowl. CJ, I'll let you hit that in a second. I want to ask you all about another guy that we didn't mention in the secondary and his ability to actually take a step forward this year, and that's Jade Barron. And the reason I'm mentioning him is not because I think he's going to necessarily be a better quote-unquote player or smarter player. He was injured all year. I mean, Rod – Seriously, nicked up, injured all season long. That had to play a little bit of role of him getting beat deep at times. I mean, I, I, right? I mean, is yeah. it possible we see a better Jade Barron, a health because he's simply healthier next year? Yeah, it could be. I exactly don't know the extent how he was banged up, but we know they had to. What was that the the, the U of H game where he's yep. <laughs> he's out of the game because he's dealing with an injury, and if they don't put him in there. Um, and have that game-saving uh, defensive uh, sh- uh, defensive stand, they don't win that game. And that was based on Jade Barron's coverage. So I'm with you. I, he, there were times we did seem a little, uh, I'm going to say a little slow, um, just because you, last season, remember how decisive he was and how he would, I mean, just smother wide receiver screens, this nature. I do think this season the film was out there on how aggressive he has been. And if you'll notice late in the season, teams started to game plan against his aggressive. They countered it with, you know, double moves and out and ups and uh, stalk blocking goals. So they, I think they, they figured out, oh, this guy's really aggressive. Let's come up with some counter keys. I think it'll help him watching film next season to be a little bit more fundamentally sound, a little bit more technically sound, right? Make sure that you're on your approach, your angle, that you're approaching the upfield shoulder so that you can guard against the out and ups. Things, I think he got a little bit sloppy, late in the season and teams start to take advantage of him. But there's no question. I think Jade Barron is it I should have been a, I think should have been the first team all conference defender. I think he's got that kind of talent. And you know I, I do think ultimately he's a guy at Texas that could be a Thorpe Award semifinalist finalist. He's got to be promoted the right way though because I don't think Jade Barron's gonna get his hands on a lot of footballs. I don't think he's gonna have five, six picks. That's not really his game. He's got to be promoted as and marketed as the most versatile defender in a secondary in the country, which he can be. We know he can play corner. We know he can play nickel. And honestly, I think he can play safety too if you needed him to in a pinch different situation. I think that's how you market him. I think that's where, honestly, the strength in his skill set is. Hey, I I got a question for you. What else they can do? Hold on. I tell you what else he can do. Go have a big game against Michigan in the second second game of the year. Oh, that's true. Have have a big game there. And it kind of gets you that the Big Ten area votes start coming in a little bit, right? Rod? That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Jerry? Yeah. Uh, first off, we had a, a beef jerky of choice. It's Robertson's at Love's for me on the road. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, Rod, let's just say he had a pretty significant big toe issue last year. 
you play, being a defensive back, how would that change? To me, watching guys that have had it, that turn and run becomes extremely difficult. Playing downhill, okay. But when you're having to open your hips, oh. turn and run, that becomes a real issue. Yeah, there's no doubt. Change of direction, uh, turn and run, um, being able to get in and out of your brakes, the acceleration, deceleration. Man, that big toe, as Deion Sanders, that big toe, It'll 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 turn you into a pedestrian defender, um, and I so I, I if that was indeed the injury, I could definitely see why guys were able to get behind him, and on some of those deeper throws, the deeper routes, because that's you know a lot of that is like you said, your turn and run, that's your burst, uh, that's part of your your catch up speed as a defender, and if you don't have that, you get beat, you stay beat, and, and if somebody knows you have that issue, they're gonna double move you. And that, that's what they – at the end of the season, that's all they were doing against them. Exactly. All right, hey, yeah. we got some, a little bit of breaking news. Uh, Javar Thomas, uh, according – Blake Monroe texting me right now. Uh, Javar Thomas out of Aldine Nimitz, a linebacker, Jerry, and CJ. Man, they are they are offering some linebackers this year. Uh, Javar Thomas out of Aldine Nimitz has received a scholarship offer from the University of Texas. Uh, he's posted that, I believe, on Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, uh, so Javar, interesting, six – Two and a half, six three, a lot like Jonathan Cunningham. Look, Johnny Nansen has a type, right? We're seeing that. Mm-hmm. Tall, long guys, they can put weight on. Anthony mm-hmm. Williams fits that, all, although he committed prior. We've talked about this. Texas wants longer levers at outside linebacker with frames that add weight moving to the SEC. Um, because a lot of people ask, why didn't Texas go on the Kelvion Riggins kid who committed day in them? I think they felt like they had a couple of guys like that already on campus. They're going longer lever upside guys that can run and pursue that football uh, outside the numbers, outside the hash marks. But Javar Thomas is another one of those guys similar frame to Jonathan Cunningham from North Crowley who was offered yesterday. Uh, a guy that uh, it, it's interesting too, Bobby, when we, when you started in this business and, and then I got in this business, all the Nimitz had some player. Oh. Mike Clay, one of the hardest hitters you'll ever see, right? They, 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 Dante Hall, they had some guys, right? I was going to say Dante Hall remains the best. Dante Hall remains the best punt returner, yeah, I've ever seen. Devin Hester is the best kick returner I've ever seen, and that's saying something because John Humphrey was tremendous in punt return too. So, but then Nimitz started losing those kids, and this coach has kept some of those kids at all the Nimitz. And, of course, they've started to turn it around and win more games. But Javar Thomas is the best prospect over there. And they probably have three or four legitimate FBS prospects. But he's a guy that Baylor's been on. Uh, a lot of schools, uh, TCU, they've been on him for a while. Uh, but he fits the type. We're seeing the type that Johnny Nansen likes on tape. And then when he sees him in person, that's a second straight day of offering a similar prospect from a frame standpoint. I, I think it's very – Thomas was on campus actually during the season for the Kansas game. He made an appearance there and was also on campus for the junior day. So a little familiarity there with the staff. Also, I think that Arizona staff liked him a whole lot. Obviously, Nansen coming to to Texas offered him today. And Washington, that new staff from Arizona up to Washington, offered him on January 30th. So a busy week from that staff. It goes to show that they kind of liked him inside of their room when, uh, when they were together in Tucson. I'm looking at I'm looking at guys that have been offered it that at the linebacker position. Bo Barnes, Riley Pettijan, a couple guys out of state as well uh, at this point. Hey CJ, I'm going to go back to you. Uh, I had promised people we would talk a little bit about Ryan Watts and his performance at uh, at, at the Shrine Bowl game yesterday. One of the questions I had that you kind of brought up, I think it was you and Blake were were working on it. 
there's a new technology called Zebra. Is that what it's called? And it gave some unique data and uh, information, I think is the best way to put it, on Ryan Watts and why maybe he's not a corner and probably more of a safety. Give, give people a, an understanding of, of the data that you that you heard. Yeah, Zebra Sports Analytics, you know, they did all the testing, the times, and, and kind of uh, the deeper analytical stuff for the for both the Senior Bowl and the East-West Shrine game. They had some stuff on, on Ryan Watts that we were able to get our hands on. Uh, really interesting stuff, and we were talking about it before stream with Rod. It, it really goes to show his skill set suits more to safety. He has good top-end speed. Ryan Watts was actually the third fastest player clocked this week at a Senior Bowl. Uh, the first was actually Tyler Owens, the former Texas uh, safety that transferred to Texas Tech. But that goes to show the top end speed that he has. The issue there is his acceleration necessarily doesn't compute or translate the way in which you would see a top end guy with speed. He was uh, the fastest acceleration by their metrics was uh, at 5.33 yards per second. Uh, that was the fastest. The fifth fastest was, you know, right around five and a half or 5.05. So, uh, anything above five was certainly elite. Ryan Watts is right around 4.3. So you see that drop off is pretty significant in the getting going. But once he gets his legs going and gets down the field over a, you know, a duration of the, of the field, you see that top end speed really start to come out, but it's that burst and acceleration in which teams start seeing, you know, maybe, maybe he's a safety. And I think that's what the NFL teams, as we were mentioning earlier, are starting to ponder across a little bit more. I tell you what, that that yeah, Dan Rod, right. I want to go to you. That, that tells me that he may not be a safety either. And I'm not gonna not my my issue there is he may be better at corner because if he stays engaged, he can run with them. When he gets disengaged, if you're a, a 4.3 on that acceleration chart and that's a full second or a full yard behind the, the best of the best, that's just gonna be. I mean, that'll be that's not good. In my opinion, it, it, it's it depends on the system that he's in. Um, if he's got to play straight up, just straight up man coverage often, then that is not you don't want him at corner because he's got to get in and out of breaks, he's got to accelerate, decelerate. He's uh, a, a wide receiver's going to stack him and he doesn't have the catch up speed to be able to close that gap. So, if, if not in zone coverage, I think kind of I can feel what you're saying. If you're heavy zone coverage, maybe that like makes a lot more sense. That's why I like him at safety. Because at safety, I do think he'll have time to kind of get – he'll have time to diagnose the play, but also I think with more space. Because I don't think he's great in – obviously what you're saying is he's got great – he's not he doesn't have great short area quickness, right? He doesn't have that. So what you want is him with time to open up. Safeties have time to do that, and they can take better angles, right? You have more angles at your – you know what I mean? If you're a safety, you have more angles available to you to take to the football and clear angles to the football. As a, as a corner, there are only a couple of angles you can take, and you got to be quick with it, getting in and out of that break, flipping your hips, opening your hips, or you're going to, you know, flip your hips. I, when I've watched him, he just doesn't do it. Well, I've told you guys, his biggest issue is once he's downfield, he just doesn't have the burst and acceleration to get in and out of those breaks. So I see what you're saying, Bobby, but I, I would worry about him playing man coverage, period. I'd put him at safety, and I wouldn't want him at the safety where he's got to lock up on a slot receiver every now and then. That ain't the kind of safety you want him at either. You like him playing a middle field safety. If he does have that speed, you're talking about long range speed, he'll have time to get over the top. And he's got the range, all right, and the width to be able to make a play there and the length to make a play there. But if you want him to be able to cover a guy in the slot with a two-way go, that could be a long day. 
that could be a long day in the NFL. Yeah. Well, I, we, we wish the best for him. By somebody, somebody in the our chat said uh, Carl Weathers passed away. Apollo Creed, man, that's oh what? Yeah, somebody, somebody in our chat's been saying that sucks, man. Man, that, guy, he he that dude was ripped. He had the he physique. played football. What did he play for? No rematch ain't gonna be no rematch. No. Oh man, that's that crazy. Sucks. I tell you wow. what doesn't suck is this post. <laughs> Actually, it does because I'm not there. Real hook him. Sitting on Cable Beach in the Bahamas, watching the best guys in the biz talk Longhorn football. It's a good day. Uh, I wish with I wish palm trees were in the background, not an old bookcase. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Swaying in the background. All right, I'm gonna go to the next question here. This one from Weed 420. I guess so. Appropriate <laughs> nickname there, bud. Better season next year. Jaden Blue, CJ Baxter. Hmm. Anybody got different takes or? Is everybody on the same page? I bet we're on – I bet people are on different pages here. Nah, I'm going Baxter pretty big on this one, actually. Um, year two, came from the state of Florida, way behind physically uh, where some kids are that come out of Texas and Georgia and some of those states. It's just not the state that has the setup with the athletic periods and and, and the in the weight rooms and strength and conditioning. I think Cedric Baxter is going to make a huge jump from year one to year two. And moving to the SEC and that that inside zone scheme is uh, so important to what Sark wants to do to maximize uh, this passing game with all this speed he's recruited. Um, that downhill run game is going to be important. I think C.J. Baxter is making a huge jump from year one to year two. I think C.J. Baxter staying on the field longer. You have more options with him in the backfield and pass protection as well. You both you have the option with both of them as receiving receiving options out of the backfield, uh, but Baxter gives you that a little bit more protection with his uh, physicality and size, I think, than Jaden Blue. That'll allow him to be on the field a little bit longer. Uh, and let's not forget, he was the guy that won you know won the job out of uh, fall camp yeah. last year. You know, he was the one that got the first carries uh, for the Texas football team to start twenty twenty three. So staff loves him, and I think we're going to see a big jump again for, from him, similar to what we talked about with Derek Williams. I, by the way, I want to add something else into this because it, why not? I've already made one prediction. And I'm not going to be shocked if Christian Clark doesn't become the short yardage back next year. Goal line back. Wow. Not, I'm not going to be shocked. Over Jared Gibson. Not going to be shocked. Interesting. All right. <laughs> hey, Rod, that leaves you and me to pontificate here. You got Blue or Baxter next year, buddy? Uh, I'll take the easy route. Uh, I, I do think it'll be Baxter in the end. I keep thinking about that run he had when he came back. What was that against U of H, that touchdown run? You remember what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Oh, man. Boy, that was beautiful. It was. That that one really still still holds a special place in my mind. Think When I think about C.J. Baxter, I think about that run. And I know, and I've seen this young man in person, so I agree with Jerry. He hasn't put on his armor yet. He's still got kind of his teenage, you know, body. Um, and, man, when he gets it a year in the weight room and starts putting on armor, he's built right. He's long. He can he can afford to put on 10 pounds, and he really – you wouldn't even really see it. He would right. carry it really well. So I'll go CJ Baxter, but here's my butt here. Sorry, he used to play more two tailback sets anyway. More yeah. pony package. He needs to have both of them back there. That was your most successful, your most effective, most explosive personnel package last season. And it was the season before that. So you should see both of them in the backfield together. There you go. Rod is not going to give up on that. Hey, hey, Rod, Rod, no, will, you see Silas, will you see Silas Bolden in the backfield in some of those? Oh, I like that. 
Ah, like a little gadget, little trickery yeah. there. I like that. All right. Like I'm 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 going with Baxter as well, but I do think Blue's going to have a whale of a year. Um, I you talk about runs, Rod. When he was healthy, he was healthy against Oregon or against Oklahoma State. That yeah. run that he had, that touchdown run, that was a man run. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ran over somebody into the end zone. Yeah, I mean he he literally trucked them. Um, and so I, I get that. I just think that people underestimate Jaden Blue a little bit. Because he's he's such a one style type of back, but he's really good at that style. You, you know what I mean by that? Like he's really good catching the ball out of the backfield. That catch he made on the final drive against Washington. That was magnificent. Yeah, it was big time. Yeah. So I I think because he's so one style or, or predominantly one style, people don't they don't give him enough credit for the fact that he's very good at that style. So I like that, that. That would be my one thing. All right, uh, going on next, uh, guys. Uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, before, but here's from uh, Ashton Holloman. I've been MIA for a couple of weeks. How does everyone feel about Kenny Baker as the new DL coach? Hey, guess what? It's only been a week, so you know, you know, CJ Rod, uh, Jerry. Who wants to talk about Kenny Baker? Yeah, I'll go on what I was told by somebody who knows him well, um, has coached with him. Um, as he was coming up, look, uh, a friend of our show, Nathan O'Neill, right. Who, uh, has trained some of the best guys for the draft every year, works the Von Miller pass rush Academy has worked with guys like Boson Clowney in the off season, Amina, who guys like that. He had Will Anderson, Jalen Carter. He has obviously sweat and Murphy pre-draft this year. He thinks it was a phenomenal hire because he's a great pass rush coach. He comes from the Pete Jenkins run game school. Right. He learned under Pete, just like Bo Davis did those great run game coaches. But he said he is a tremendous pass rush coach, too. He thinks it was a phenomenal hire. He was surprised that that, that Texas got it done. Uh, but he thinks it's a phenomenal hire from a coaching standpoint. From a recruiting standpoint, look, I mean, he this is his first foray into. I stopped by this school to see Zion Williams and Alabama's behind me and Auburn is in front of me and AM and Oklahoma and LSU are getting out of their car at the same time. So this is this is different, but it, this is just beginning to build relationships. And I think recruiting's changed so much at the position coaches. I think the relationships are important. Um, but but I, I really think obviously uh, NIL has such a big place at such a big part in some of this, but you still have to build those relationships. But I think from a coaching standpoint, based on somebody I trust very much, that's always been spot on with coaching and player assessments. He thinks it was a phenomenal hire guys go to uh, on Texas football and check out Jerry and uh, CJ uh, coll- collectively wrote a great piece today on all the places that Kenny Baker has been over the last 72 hours on the road. Really good stuff there. All right, going to William Nish next. Uh, Does NIL need an established set of rules with a governing body who can enforce these rules? Short answer is yes. The long answer is who is going to do it? Who's going to administer it? How is it going to be handled? I personally say yes outside of the NCAA. Take this out of the NCAA's hands. Because they are clueless. Yeah, they are clueless. They come at it from the entirely wrong direction. They come at it. We want to protect the revenue the schools get, and you can't do that anymore. 
Genie's out, like we talked about. Genie's out of the bottle. You know, <laughs> it's they're the the genie's up. Now it's the three wishes. You don't even get three wishes if you're an animal. <laughs> No, I mean that's what the, the United yeah. States Supreme Court said. Not exactly. Burton or Rod Babers or see. I mean, I can't do anything about it. The NCAA so, cannot be trusted. They can't be trusted. <laughs> they can't. Now, now with something of this magnitude, and you just brought it up, the highest court in the land has it has essentially implied bring us more cases so that we can help destroy the NCAA. Right? <laughs> just bring us more cases, and we will help you destroy this corrupt institution. They don't. So that's why they stay out of court. That's why they're not taking. That's why they're not going to court to settle, uh, you know, lawsuits and uh, issues about guys having multiple transfers and that kind of thing. The NCAA is staying away from that because they're staying away from litigation. Nick Saban told us that. Nick Saban says they're scared of litigation. They're scared of the courts because they're going to lose every time. and They don't have the money really to keep paying lawyers fees to keep going back to court over and over again. So I agree with it. And I'll say this about the NIL. The, the problem is it's either the federal government that's going to do it because they're the only ones who have the, the power, all right, to basically make a uniform NIO law. So everybody will be acting uh, kind of in a unanimity in the same, within the same rules and with the same structure of rules. Or the Big Ten and the SEC decide they want to be of the one unified body, emancipate themselves from the NCAA, give the middle finger to the NCAA, take them to court and decide we're our own entity. And then they enact their own NIO rules and everybody within their umbrella have to operate within those rules. I, that's really the only thing I see happening because the NCAA has NIO guidelines right now and nobody cares about it. That's why I believe Virginia and, and they're going to court right now, the NCAA, because the state's laws are NCAA guidelines. Which one are you going to respect? Yeah. As we started off the show, we talked at length, uh, Pete Thamel of the ESPN, uh, the lead college football writer and reporter for them, uh, saying today, according to his sources, the SEC and the Big Ten, okay, have now combined to create an advisory committee, are going to create an advisory committee to operate outside, potentially, of the NCAA. That was breaking news about an hour and a half ago, guys. Uh, so that's one of the things that Rod is uh, referencing in there. And is yet again another domino that we're putting into this, you know, box of them that at one point or another, it's all going to go down. You know, House we just don't know when, but uh, it continues to happen. All right. Uh, this is the next one. This one from Forrest Eldridge. Uh, are there recruits you think are important to get early in order to be the lead recruiters for the class? Love the content. Y'all are killing it. Is it KJ Lacey guys? One yeah. of those guys. Um, well, I, think, I think a couple of things play into that. I think KJ Lacey is, is that guy. Um, I, you know, I look. I, they went their first few commits were out of state, right? I mean, you're talking KJ Lacey, Amari Winston, Brandon Brown, boom, boom, boom. Uh, but I, I think we talked about it a little bit this morning on coffee and football. They're not in a rush. Now, that's the thing. They want to play this out and evaluate this into the spring before setting up a lot of these official visits in June and really deciding who they're going to make their pushes for. So I think that's a big part of what's going to happen here is I'm not saying if uh, if there was a certain 10 or 11 guys, if they up and decided they wanted to commit now, Texas wouldn't take them. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is Texas plays the long game in recruiting. And the long game in recruiting right now is evaluating these kids in the spring 
then getting into those uh, late May and June official visits. Uh, so I, Texas is not in any rush right now uh, to get a lot of guys in the boat. And the reality is, if a kid's not already, already in the boat, the chances of him passing on the official visits is pretty low. It would be somebody committed somewhere else that flips. Uh, that would be the more likely scenario. I mean, these kids, they they understand the game so much better than they used to understand the game uh, with NIL. There's not a real reason to commit early before these late spring and June official visits. Just I got to break in a little bit here. I, wait, I'm going to come back to you, CJ. Need to break in real quick. This from Ross Dellinger, uh -oh. uh, lead beat writer for Yahoo Sports uh, and College Sports formerly of Sports Illustrated when it was a real thing. News, Big Ten and SEC are creating a joint advisory group of presidents and ADs in an urgent mission to find solutions and steer college sports into the future. Okay, that we kind of believe yeah. that, right? We knew that based on Pete mm -hmm. Thamel's report, other than the word use of the term urgent. Urgent. Yeah. Urgent. Now, there's another one. There's more to that, Rod and CJ. And Jerry, pressure, quote, pressures are mounting. SEC's Greg Sankey, the commissioner, says, we are going, we are not going to be status quo. Boom. That's it, dude. That, Boom. That's one of your two biggest guys. You can say who's Boom. first or second, but there are actually three big people in, in college sports, in my opinion. The SEC commissioner, the Big Ten commissioner, and ESPN. Now, Fox's money is just as green, and CBS's money is just as green, all that other stuff. But ESPN, SEC, Big Ten. Those three guys figure out a way, it's ball game. They, they Those are the ones that need to find a structure. And Greg Sankey. Not status quo, Rod. And Greg Sankey's been around, right? The Big Ten commissioner just got there, what, a couple yeah, years ago? Yeah, he just left, right? Yep. Yep. Well, Greg Sankey's kind of, he's kind of the OG, right, among these commissioners here, too. That's why he, what comes from Greg Sankey's mouth, to me, it, it it means a lot. It holds a lot of water. And I think some smart person behind the scenes, maybe it's Greg Sankey, maybe it's one of those ESPN uh, execs you talk about, Bobby, behind the scenes there. They've, they've thought to themselves, you know, the NFL is a league, 32 teams, worth annually about $18 billion a year. They're trying to get close to $20 billion. That's the goal. Billion a year. Number one TV show in America. And I believe somebody, some smart person at the college level said, what is major college football worth if the NFL is worth, if it's worth $18 billion for 32 teams? What is major college football worth with all these passionate fans who've been around for generations and generations? And we Not can put... On. 60 someone together is it worth more than 20 billion probably probably if we can do it right it might be somebody's it's worth about. half it's worth more than <laughs> because i mean right now texas is going to get a 60 to 80 million dollar check from the sec if it's mm -hmm. if you if you divide 10 billion by 60 you're what is what is that for a school 140 million a year saying yeah it's yeah. worth it you know, and Bobby, and that goes to the point of why they'll want to keep it the 48 versus 60. Yes. Yep. Hey, I, got, I want mine and some of yours too, baby. Yep. Hey, uh, CJ, going back to you, I'm sorry to break you up there. Uh, about uh, the leadership in the class and recruiting that Forrest had asked about, 
uh, for leading recruiters, et cetera. You had something you want to mention. Yeah, I was I was going to say it's always helpful when you get the guys in state in the boat early so they can help, you know, kind of uh, campaign for you whenever it's not necessarily your coaches going out to the trail. Anthony Williams actually mentioned after the junior day, he was basically on campus to help recruit for Texas. He wanted to get in, see some FaceTime uh, with other big prospects on the campus uh, during, for the junior day. He certainly did that. And he, had, you know, kind of named a few guys. Uh, that escaping right now, but that Houston area is something that he's looking to really lock down for Texas and be an extra recruiter on the trail. I don't really expect that from Lance Jackson. He's not, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's not his personality to be that outgoing, you know, outspoken guy, but Anthony Williams said it very clearly. He's like, I'm going to build this Texas class and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing who's going to join me in 2025. Yeah. And Lance, Lance Jackson also is in Northeast Texas. Yeah. yeah the the, the he, very, you know, there's limited numbers of guys, right? I mean, uh, whereas in Houston or Dallas, if a Bo Barnes, for example, would hop on or right, they could they could help be that guy. Certainly, throwing names out there. I'm not saying that th those are the uh, players per se, uh, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, all right, uh, I want to say thanks one more time before we get going here. Uh, we got some more questions there in the queue that I'm going to get to, uh, but first I want to say thank you again to our sponsor. Each and every Friday's live stream brought to you by our friend Andy Ludicky at MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in uh, business ownership and think the franchise game might be where you want to head, give Andy a shout, 404-973-9901, or email him at andy at myperfectfranchise.net. He's helped dozens of people get into their own businesses, 404-973-9901, or andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Andy, thank you so much uh, for your sponsorship of on Texas football. All right, guys, we got some more questions to get to. Uh, we've got about five, 10 more minutes that we're going to go here. I, I want to ask this one, guys. Uh, do you think the future system will be modeled after the NFL free agency where athletes representatives are required to be licensed agents and players will be on contracts ending the transfer portal? I want to say this. I, I got some feedback from folks. One of the most telling things that's going on right now to me, okay, I was talking to uh, a player pers personnel director. I won't mention the name of the school. He had, and, and a guy was in the transfer portal that his team definitely was interested in, definitely wanted him, et cetera. Three different representatives yeah. called him on a single player. Wow. Not the player, but three different representatives. So there's the director of player personnel saying, yes, I want to talk to him. Yes, I want to. He has to tell three different people, yes. But he doesn't even know who he's really supposed to be talking to. Yep. Damn. Think about that, Rob. I mean, Rob, that's, that's messed crazy. up, right? You've been in the NFL. Whoa. You had one guy. One agent. Yeah. Yes. So to your point, um, Bo, Botex, I agree. Hmm. You need There needs to be a clearinghouse for agents in – NIL, just like there is in the NFL. Don't care what that looks like. I don't yeah. know what it should look like. But there needs to be something. Uh, it could uh, change the transfer portal in some ways. I mean, you could start. The idea that you can only have an NIL deal, by the way, for one year is antitrust related, too, in my opinion. I'm just going to, I mean, nowhere in the world is you can only have a, a contract for one year. Yeah. That a contract can be as short or as long as you want it to be. And is that to protect 
the uh the, the student athletes or to protect the, the companies and the collectors because these guys could transfer after one year. Do I want to be tied to him longer than that when he could just leave or when he could have a bad year or get hurt? Like, do you, I don't know. What is that? Who's, who's been, who's the benefit to have the one year contract player or the company? That's the question. Why is that a rule in the first place? That's also true. Tell me, tell me another, another place where contracts can only be, can only be year to year. Mm. Maybe, Government institutions? Well, guess what? I mean, government institutions, Baylor's not a government institution. Scholarship, but basically scholarships are one year, renewables, uh, right? Yes, they are one year renewables, but that's yeah. that's across everything. Yeah. But name me, my point is, name me another uh, line of work. No. That, yeah. There may be something out there and I'm just not, I don't know it. But th that's that's my my question on that. Uh, all right, uh, got about time for a couple more here. Uh, let's go. I tell you what, this is going to be one uh, gonna get uh, CJ in on. Uh, and I want to ask you this, CJ, just a, a young man's Ooh. game. Gary Patterson would be a mm -hmm. great GM at Texas. Love it. Here's the question I have for you, CJ. Do you let the fox in the hen house? Because <laughs> you guys know that you either if you want a gm that is equal to the head coach that's what gary patterson would be fighting for right he would want to be equal i don't know that steve sarkeesian is going to want to do that you may be able to recruit a coach into that situation but a standing head coach who just went to the college football playoff i don't think that's going to be possible cj what do you think yeah, I mean, Gary's a, a tremendous evaluator of talent, obviously. Defensive back was one of his calling cards at TCU, able to send so many guys to the league. He would be a great evaluator and, and, and manager, I think, of a, of a lineup. But like you said, I mean, we already saw a little bit of it whenever he was a, an analyst here, and it was, well, is it, is it Gary Patterson's doing or is it PK? You know, why is this defense taking a step forward? And I'm sure within the walls of Moncrief, whether they admitted it or not, it wasn't necessarily received well from the outside media noise. Because, one, it's PK calling the defense. It's his defense. It's his scheme. It's his game plan. But on the outside, who's getting that credit? Who's receiving that credit? Whose fingerprints are being claimed as, you know, the, the reason for this step forward? I think from both sides, it'd be a, a little bit of stepping on each other's toes, maybe another cook in the kitchen where there's not necessarily a cutting board ready for him to be slicing down on, if, if you get what I'm saying. So I'm with you, Bobby, 100%. Yeah, I don't I, think – think, look, I, I don't think – what we're talking about GMs in college football, I don't think we're talking about Gary Patterson's of the world. Mm -mm. I think we're talking about guys that have lived in the recruiting world like the yep. Billy Glasscocks. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be your GMs. I, I think GM in the NFL, totally different than GM in college football. If you think about all the things that the GM at the college level is going to have to deal with, I don't even think a Gary Patterson would want a job like that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we, we talked about college coaches not wanting to, to do all the other stuff. If you're not if you're a former college coach and you don't get to coach, but you now you got to handle the NIL, the, the roster construction and recruiting. I think that's in a way the worst worst of the worst. No, I'd be shocked if anybody over sixty that had millions in the bank wanted that job. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, with the with the comment of the day there, <laughs> who would want that headache? 
All right. Hey, uh, I, that's going to do it for this afternoon. I, I wrote down a couple of things I wanted to, to backtrack on just because I missed them uh, while y'all were uh, when we went on to other subjects. When we were talking Jaden Blue and CJ Baxter, I was talking to Nick Shuley today over at Third and Longhorn. We were talking about some yeah. stuff. He said CJ Baxter was one of the most pleasant young men awesome. he's ever dealt with. They're going to have an interview coming up with him. Really, yeah. really said he was like an awesome dude, guys. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah, awesome. uh, and then also, he's great. Yeah, also, I, I want to say, uh, please join us tomorrow. Uh, Rod and Coach Shipley going to have football theory tomorrow morning early uh, for us. Also, join us on ontexasfootball.com. Join us in the community. We've got the community going. Jerry, CJ, Blake, everyone in there. Uh, talk a little Longhorn football today. Uh, last piece, uh, NFL draft wise, we talked about it this morning, and a couple people mentioned it in the chat. Right now, we think eight, at least eight Longhorns to go yep. in the NFL draft. Uh, those are Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Adonai Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, J uh, Jonathan Brooks, Jalen Ford, uh, Christian Jones, and JT Sanders. Not sure of the order there. Sark says he might have 10 to 12. That's the case. Jordan Whittington, Keelan Robinson, Ryan Watts, Ryan Sanborn. Hey, can I, can I say something to Rod? Because he, yep. he missed what I said this morning. I talked to somebody very close to the Murphy Sweat camp down Oh, yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of, like, mock drafts come out with Byron Murphy 5 or 6 or 7. This person said 12 to 25 is what he's thinking hearing, mm -hmm. depending on how he tests. If yep. he goes testing out of the water, which is not expected, by the way, then he could move into the top 10. But he's hearing thinking 12 to 25 right now, which would be amazing for a guy who's shorter – Shorter levers, yeah, not the twitch of Aaron Donald to go that high. That would still be amazing. Um, but then Tavondre Sweat, he's saying because he's a first, second down player in the NFL, more mm. than likely early third round. Oh, that uh, damn, that's good value. You get him in the third. Wow. Ooh. They think Rod, they think he's a one down or one first and second down player only, though. Yeah, uh, that's why they're worried about his weight, I guess, too. That's right. Um, that's it. and whether he can play on third downs. I, I think that's great value, though, man. I think a team would try to steal him in the second. The NFL yeah. wants big buys. Actually, I go into this in football theory. It's a great tease. In football theory, Coach Shipley and I discuss why D tackles. I'll give you a little tease here. You go look at the top 16 highest paid defensive players in the NFL and average annual salary for 2023. Eight of the 16 are interior D linemen, D tackles. Highest paid, uh, 12 highest paid uh, defensive players based on guaranteed money in 2023. Half of them, six of the 12 interior D linemen. They're not a premium position, but people are spending a lot of money on them. And I talk about why in football theory. Got it. Good Love stuff. It. Rod, thank you all so much, guys. CJ, thank you. Rod Babers, thank you. Jerry Hamilton, hope you enjoyed spending a little Friday afternoon time talking some football. Also appreciate Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, for CJ, Rod, and Jerry, I'm Bobby Burton, and this has been On Texas Football. Hook them. Hook them. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.